This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. We study verse by verse through the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Now about that time, King Herod stretched out his hands to oppress some of the assembly. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. Peter, therefore, was kept in the prison, but constant prayer was made by the assembly to God for him. All right, today we're in Acts chapter 12. Let's go back to verse 1. Now about that time, King Herod stretched out his hands to oppress some of the assembly. This was Herod Agrippa I. There are three kings actually named Herod in the New Testament. The Herod of Acts 12 was the grandson of Herod the Great, who reigned during the time of Jesus' birth. You know, the one who had every child to and under put to death to try and kill the prophesied coming Messiah. After Herod the Great's rule in the province was Herod Antipas, who was involved in the trial of Jesus. So Herod Agrippa I, the third generation Herodian tyrant of the New Testament and nephew of Herod Antipas, began oppressing some in the church here in Acts 12. When world leaders are influenced and controlled by the God of this world, Satan, we should find it no surprise that they would target followers of Jesus. I mean, don't we see regular examples of that throughout the world today? Some countries in the world today have essentially outlawed the practice of Christianity. There, Jesus' followers are harassed, hated, unjustly persecuted, and imprisoned. Often it's the governmental leaders themselves in those regions who are the ones leading the charge against Christians. We're fortunate to live in a nation where we're able to freely practice and express our religious convictions. But even here in the States, depending on where you live and who's in charge, I think Christians can in one form or another experience oppression by the governmental authorities from the school systems to the workplace and beyond. For example, over COVID lockdowns, there were places in the States where bars could be open for business, but churches had to be shut down. Churches were fined by local governments for gathering for worship. When people get into power, who are influenced and controlled by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, meaning Satan himself, we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter oppression from our own leaders. There are certainly modern-day Herods who oppress God's people. Verse 2. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. This was the Apostle James, the one often mentioned with his brother John and with Peter. In Mark 10, 35-40, John and his brother James asked Jesus, if they could sit at his right hand and left hand in glory. In other words, they wanted to be like the top dogs in the Messiah's coming kingdom. 
kind of seemed like they wanted to bask in his glory and rule alongside him, like Jesus' right-hand men, the next in line. So here was Jesus' response in Mark 10, 38. You do not know what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? James and John replied by saying they could, although they didn't really understand then what that would entail. Jesus told them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. We find in the book of Acts many fulfillments of promises Jesus made. The martyrdom of James is one of them. You see, the cup James was to drink was a martyr's death. Verse 2 here in Acts 12 mentions that Herod killed James with the sword. This likely means he was beheaded. James was the first of the apostles to die a martyr's death, but wouldn't be the last. In fact, history records that most of Jesus' apostles would be killed. John was the exception, although many efforts were made to kill him as well. If the church at that time had some notion that the apostles were invincible, and a martyr's death was always escapable, this would have been a wake-up call. Up to this point in the book of Acts, we've seen the apostles delivered from perilous situations. James didn't die because he was faithless. James died because God had appointed it. I have no doubt the promise of Revelation 14.13 applies to the apostle James. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. James had fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. We all have an appointed time from the Lord to die, and this was James. But even in death there was victory. Revelation 12 verse 11 proclaims our victory over Satan in Christ. And they conquered him, that is the devil, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even to death. We have the victory through Christ's death. His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. In his death, we who believe find life. And by God's grace, the spiritual life we experience in Christ makes us willing to die for him. And they loved not their lives even unto death. How much do we love Jesus? Would we die for him? Are we unashamed to identify with him? when it comes at a cost. When Jesus causes us to be born again by his mercy and through his resurrection, he becomes our life, identity, joy, hope, and peace. For a Christian, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Moving on, Acts chapter 12, verse 3. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. 
I remember trying to entertain my daughter when she was an infant. If she was like in a bad mood or crying, I'd try to find ways to deal with it. If I made a silly face and she responded with laughter, I'd do it again. If she poked me in the head and my dramatized response cheered her up, she'd poke me again and I'd dramatize my response again. Herod was a crowd pleaser. He gave the people what they wanted. I doubt he wanted to please the crowd because he truly had their interests at heart. The guy was a politician. He was probably just concerned about himself and how such a move could have had some sort of political benefit. He was willing to rule unjustly in pursuit of gaining the approval and love of the people. Maybe looking for an ego boost and self-advancement at the cost of the oppressed minority. This also goes to show that the quote-unquote voice of the people isn't always the right or just path. When the people love the darkness more than the light, they will assuredly demand their rulers champion their sinful causes and pursuits. The Jews wanted Christianity stomped out. They wanted its leaders dead. Herod was willing to champion their cause for self-advancement. I'd venture to say we see this alive and active in modern-day politics. Do we ever see the lust for power consume leaders to the point where their political fame and advancement takes precedence over principle, justice, and morality? And don't we see at times movements started by the people, now embraced and championed by such leaders, like transgenderism being pushed on kids, or the LGBT movement? Don't we also at times see governments in bed with private companies for the benefit of both parties, but at the expense of many others? For example, I wonder how many unjust wars have begun or continued because war can be a money-making machine for some. Or government leaders can issue mandates that might benefit some, but really harm others. Is it possible, even within the context of the local church, for this dynamic to be at play? Do church leaders ever compromise or water down God's word to please the congregation and yet at their ultimate expense? Are we ever like King Herod in this regard in our day-to-day -day interactions, willing to unjustly put others down and harm them for our own self-advancement and causes because it pleases the powers that be or the majority rule? Whether in the workplace, at church, among social groups, or in politics. Moving on, verse 4. When he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. Herod's extraordinary precautions in guarding Peter was likely in response to how some of the apostles with Peter had mysteriously escaped from prison before, like in Acts 5. Now why did Herod wait to bring Peter out until after the Passover? Maybe it was so that after the crowds from afar were dispersed, this would minimize the possibility or impact of rioting. Maybe he wanted to appear respectful towards the Jewish festivals or as observant. Or it's also possible that Herod thought he'd be able to garnish more approval and attention from the people regarding Peter's impending execution if he didn't disrupt their religious observances. That way, 
all the focus and energy could be placed on that matter. Whatever the reason, Herod's decision to wait until after the Passover was likely politically motivated. Verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in the prison, but constant prayer was made by the assembly to God for him. James the Apostle had just been beheaded by Herod. Like a shark having just gotten a taste for blood, it appeared more executions were coming for Christian leaders at Herod's hand. Maybe they had a sense Herod was willing to do the Jews' bidding to try and stomp out the Christian movement. The campaign was just getting started. Perhaps they saw the writing on the wall and felt that without divine and miraculous intervention from God himself, they were toast. So they prayed constantly to God for Peter. The Greek word ikhtinos, which was translated here in verse 5 as constant, is also used in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, where Luke described the agonizing prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The prayers of the saints here were earnest prayers, serious, intense, passionate, eager, constant, and focused prayers. The assembly was really reaching out to God. My prayers often seem to be most earnest when I have a desperate need. Other times I'm not as invested into what I'm praying about as I should be, especially when I'm not personally connected with what I'm praying about or praying for. It's when issues hit us at home, come right to the front doorstep, and make an immediate impact on our lives that we're more prone to passionately reach out to God. This shouldn't necessarily be the case, as we should always want to passionately pursue God in relationship through prayer. But often, it's the trials in our lives that drive us to our knees. The assembly desperately wanted to see Peter delivered from Herod's hands. of death we will not avenge vengeance is the Lord's and if the world hates us it hated him first would you die for him you will have in this world, but take heart, He has overcome the world. Remember them
them as if it were us Let's be bold as God's word we speak in Him was Overcome from the Adams Road album, Tongues of Fire. The love of God was made manifest among us. That he sent to us his only son That we who were dead in our sins might know The great love that God has for us In this his love that he sent his son As propitiation for our sins So we might live through him and know that God is love There is nothing in all creation No tribulation, no death, no sword That can separate us Separate us From God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord We must be Comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love that has no end. Oh, He is rich in mercy and abounds in steadfast. 
was God is Love from the Adams Road album, It's So Simple.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Join us next episode as we examine Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 12. Grace and peace be with you all.